Hi, this is Robert Cahoon on The Pulse, and today we're looking at an introduction to the theology of the body. What is theology of the body and what relevance does it have? Well, theology of the body is a reference to 129 lectures that St. Pope John Paul II gave between 1979 and 1984. And this work covers a variety of different issues, but it's mainly centered on God's plan for life and love and the truth and design about God's, uh, God's design for human sexuality. And one of the most important points that St. John Paul II makes is that the body alone is capable of making invisible visible, and thus the spiritual qualities made visible by the body. So the poet Philip Larkin said that sex was invented in 1963, but with the change in attitudes towards sex that happened in the 20th century, theology of the body attempts to bring a fresh perspective and understanding of Christian sexual ethics. Uh, many Christians perceive sexual ethics to be based on legalism and prudery rather than liberty, but theology of the body challenges this notion and in a new language shows how Christian ethics corresponds with the deepest longings and yearnings of the human heart. So through scriptural exegesis, John Paul seeks to answer what it means to be human, how to live a life of happiness and fulfillment. He looks at the origin, history and destiny of the human body and the influence of original sin. John Paul looks at marriage and celibacy, explaining the vocations as living out the who we are in the most profound way. He explains how marriage, when lived to the full, is free, faithful, total and fruitful. And this is an image of how God loves and anticipates heaven and the ultimate union with God. So this analysis has provided a new context for understanding Catholic sexual morality. It's an invitation to accept our own greatness, God-like dignity, and live with a love that we were created for. So what is so exciting about theology of the body? So it's the first non-Italian Pope in 455 years. John Paul II spent the first five years of his pontificate and Wednesday audiences largely talking about marriage. Perhaps he said more about marriage and sexuality than all the other previous Popes combined. Either this was a prophetic and timely gesture or as a huge blunder. And since the sexual revolution in the 1960s, the institutional marriage and traditional values have been under immense threat. So if total love between a man and woman is one of the least inadequate ways of describing God's love, then the devil will be first to attack the splendor and beauty of marital love. So theology of the body is one of the great movements to happen in the Catholic Church today, especially in the United States, transforming lives and teaching people about the wondrous plan that God has for each man and woman. And now that the teaching has been suitably adapted to be understood by ordinary lay people, it's easy to learn how to, learn how to build beautiful relationships built on respect, sacrifice, and honor. So the Wednesday audiences that make up theology of the body include over a thousand scripture references. The teaching is changing people's understanding of the church from a legalistic thinking to more of a beautific vision. Two of the most effective ways of teaching are by witness and story. Most people don't learn from a straight diet of theological teaching. And theology of the body dismisses the idea that Catholicism has a starvation approach to sexuality moderation and modesty are promoted and articulated so the degradation of marital life in the last 40 years has created a wealth of social economic and spiritual problems and this teaching seeks to transform our culture stand for life unconditional love and a return to family values so when a true message about the body is taught conversions happen and lives are changed so what is theology of the body theology is the study of god saint Altham said that it was faith seeking understanding and theology of the body is the study of God as revealed through the body. Our bodies are made in the image of God. They're something that are good in and of themselves. Only our bodies are capable of making visible what's invisible, bringing new life into the world. 
The ability to have positive understanding about the nature and dignity of the human body is a foundation for happy marriages and relationships. So God invented sex, both the noun and the verb. He created desire and gave us a plan for our lives. And our hearts are a battlefield between love and lust. We have a strong desire for love. This word's abused in modern language. People have they, people will say they love pizza and at the same time they love their spouse. And Mother Teresa said that life cannot be lived except as a gift for others. John Paul said that man cannot live without love because he remains a being that's incomprehensible to himself. These are some of the positive effects of studying theology of the body, what it means to be a human person, beautiful teaching about life and love, the original beauty of God's plan for humanity and its application towards our lives, understanding of the beauty and goodness of the body, positive message of the gift of sexuality, understanding the relationships between love and sex and the difference between love and lust, hope and redemption in Christ, what the church teaches about sexual morality, training and faithfulness, building marriages for the future, helping to discern your vocation and calling in life, what God's purpose is for the body, a clear understanding about chastity and learning about faith and what God has planned for your lives. And you have found hope about faith and life and dating with purpose and purity. So the theology of the body is a journey from the head to the heart. When we learn to love properly and see how desire, how to desire what's best for the other person, what would society be like without selfishness and relationships? We're called to love as God loves. Love's not merely a feeling, but a choice, an act of the will that consists of preferring in a constant manner the good of others to the good of oneself. Lust is the disordered desire for inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. It is sexual desire apart from God's love. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so he made a helper fit for him. Pope John Paul described love in three ways. He talked about love as attraction, seeing the good and beauty of another. He said love was desire wanting a good for yourself, desiring goodness and happiness, and he saw love as goodwill, willing the good of another. The only proper attitude towards another person is love. When we have self-knowledge by knowing ourselves, we're able to remain confident in who we are. So Adam and Eve, in the beginning, God created our bodies to be very good, 1 Genesis 1, 31. Adam and Eve had a pure relationship with each other, full of love, generosity, and passion. God blessed them with fertility, gave them the tremendous gift of caring for all his creation. There was no such thing as shame because they had perfect love. There was no need to cover themselves. There was no fear of being seen as an object to be used. The original sin of Adam and Eve brought humanity into a new world of selfishness, suffering, shame, lust, and death. If we can understand the beauty of God's original plan and the barren reality of original sin, we can appreciate the amazing benefits of following God's plan for our lives rather than our own. So John Paul calls the time before the first sin of Adam and Eve original man. After original sin, the era is called historical man. Adam's experience of isolation, being without Eve, is called original solitude. When God originally designed us, sexual desire was the desire to love in the image of God. This original nakedness with original innocence allowed Adam and Eve to be naked without shame, Genesis 2, 25. So Adam and Eve were called to make a gift of themselves to each other. And this is what's called the nuptial meaning of the body. Adam and Eve saw their bodies literally fit together. They knew they were made for a communion that was sacred. By being a gift to one another, Adam and Eve were able to mirror the very life of God. After God created man in his image and likeness, he gave them the first command, be fruitful and multiply. That's Genesis 1, 28. The Trinity is a communion of persons, just as a family of love is a communion of persons. In the story, the serpent, Satan, manages to trick Adam and Eve to question the motives and generosity of God. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that if God brings had things his way, they would live miserable lives. 
following his laws would bring them sadness, not joy. This led Adam and Eve to lack trust in God. But what about shame? John Paul said that purity was the glory of the human body before God. Many people today have a sense of hatred for their own bodies, eating disorders, cutting, steroids, are symptoms of self-loathing. Many of us feel inadequate. Pride is present when we compare ourselves to others. Shame only came with original sin. John Paul says that only true love is capable of absorbing shame. Shame is swallowed up by love, dissolved in it, so that the man and woman are no longer ashamed. Blessed Mother Teresa said, the devil may try to use the hurts of life and sometimes our own mistakes to make you feel like it's impossible that Jesus really loves you, is really cleaving to you. This is a danger for all of us and so sad. It's completely the opposite of what Jesus is really wanting, waiting to tell you. Not only that he loves you, but even more, he longs for you. He misses you when you don't come close. He thirsts for you. He loves you always, even when you don't feel worthy. But not accepted by others, even by yourself sometimes. He is the one who always accepts you. Only believe you are precious to him. Bring all your suffering to his feet. Only open your heart to be loved by him as you are. He will do the rest. So there's a document called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, written by the Pontifical Council for the Family in 1995. It's a guideline for education within the family. It's a masterly document that's a considerable amount of ink spilled on exactly what chastity is and how to live it. So there's an exegesis on chastity as explained by this document, The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality. So it describes chastity to be found in the virtue of temperance as a spiritual energy capable of defending love from selfishness and aggressiveness. It's not meant to be understood as repressive, but it cannot exist without capacity to renounce self, to make sacrifices and to wait. So we're not able to give what we don't possess. The gift of human life has been given to us as a gift by God in order then to be given as a gift. That's from Evangelium Vitae number 92, the encyclical letter. When we grow in chastity, we grow in love through self-mastery. This is when we're in control of our feelings, passions, and emotions. This brings a certain sense of harmony to a person through maturity and inner peace. The catechism describes the self-control as an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is a training in human freedom. We're especially free when in possession of our own actions and not dominated by sin or lust. So this, this the freedom that's manifested in chastity helps to one discover self-respect and helps us able to respect others because we see them as sons and daughters of the living God, creating his image and deserving of reverence and grace-filled lives. Through this premise, chastity requires that we reject certain thoughts, words, and sinful actions because they offend God and his creation. So all Christians are called to chastity, even those living within marriage. Parents are then living a chaste life and in a stronger, more authentic position to educate the children on this issue, to help them grow in holiness. The virtue of chastity helps to form respect between the sexes, compassion, tolerance, generation, and sacrifice. These virtues are indispensable for forming foundations for strong and fruitful marriages. By giving way to each other in love for the pillars of sacrifice, patience, and affection, married couples show the beauty of the design of marriage. Tertullian summarizes this well when he states, how can I ever express the happiness of the marriage that's joined together by the church, strengthened by an offering, sealed by a blessing, announced by angels and ratified by the father. They are both brethren and both fellow servants. There's no separation between them in spirit or flesh. Christ rejoices in them and he sends them his peace. Where the couple is, there he is also to be found. And where he is, evil can no longer abide. That's from Tertullian quoted in Familiaris Consortio number 13. 
So this document, The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, continues and states that chastity is closely linked to the development of all of values, especially Christian love. This love, occasionally manifested by respect, altruism and service, is called charity. Chastity education must be put in the broadest context of education for love. So the Second Vatican Council noted the need for education and love stated it's important to give suitable and timely instruction to other people, to young people, above all in the heart of their own families, about the dignity of married love, its role and its exercise. In this way, they'll be able to engage in honourable courtship and enter marriage of their own. That's from Gaudian Miss Best Number 49. This education must be positive and prudent, clear and delicate. So marriage and conjugal love in the Bible is a symbol and image of God's love for humanity. Sex is a great gift of God. He gave us the chance to become co-creators of new human life within us. Women have the extraordinary capacity to have two or more souls within their bodies at any one time when pregnant. As God has shared his wonderful creative power with us, it's of utmost important this new generation that has strong consciences formed about the truth of God's plan. A disordered use of sex gradually destroys a person's capacity to love. Given the widespread use of contraceptives, the misuse in the media, the omnipresence of confusion, subjectivism and erroneous personal opinion on this issue the danger of trivializing human sexuality even as a consumer object is immense chastity therefore cannot be relegated to a definition the action or non-action of external acts rather it's intimately linked to nature and grace and our relationship with god in atmosphere decency modesty and speech action and dress is one where chastity will flourish overall chastity is certainly possible in one state in life and contrary to popular opinion it's a virtue that brings joy Sustained with the help of God's grace and mercy through the sacraments, we're able to live chastely so that we can give God glory and love him and our neighbour to the best of our ability. So if you want to find out more about Theology of the Body, um, there's plenty of resources. You look at Christopher West, uh, there's a book by Carl Anderson called Call to Love. Jason Ebert's written a book, Theology of His Body, Theology of Her Body. Um, Christopher West's written a book, Theology of the Body for Beginners, Theology of the Body Explained. And Jason Everett and Brian Bottler have a syllabus called Theology of the Body for Teens. Uh, plenty more resources online. Um, Father, Samuel, Father Samuel Mendley has also written, uh, um, written on this, Theology of the Body in the Street. Um, you can find plenty of resources of Theology of the Body online. Theology of the Body Institute is also a great place to find. Thanks so much indeed for listening. <laughs>